Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's classic episode of Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage featuring Gabriella Anders. Gabriella is going to be playing at our upcoming Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, August 26th and 27th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we thought we'd treat you again to her music and give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about Gabriella. Be sure to check out this episode and also be sure to get your tickets for the Fresh Coast Jazz Festival at freshcoastjazz.com. Today's guest has one of the most beautifully distinctive voices in all of contemporary jazz. Her first project, Wanting, catapulted her, her first U.S. project, I should say. Wanting catapulted her onto the jazz charts and to critical acclaim, and she's continued to make some of the most special music in contemporary jazz to this day. We're very excited to welcome to the show today, Miss Gabriella Anders. Gabriella, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Carl. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. The pleasure is all ours. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well and uh, happy to be with you, sharing music and talking and, you know, <laughs> giving the COVID world that we live in. It's such a great pleasure, you know? Yeah, it's great to have you. And I tell you, you're so right. I mean, music means so much. And at times like what we've been going through, just the ability to have music that can comfort you and to soothe you and that you can just enjoy, right? That brings so much to trying times in lives. And so it's great that we have people like you who make such beautiful music that make us all smile and make us happy. Thank you, Carl. And it's been particularly different for all musicians all over the world because we couldn't perform. It's been a year plus that we couldn't perform. So it's been quite difficult year. Yeah. I first became aware of your music with your wanting release. Mm -hmm. I listened to that. I think people who were in my world at that time may have gotten tired of it because I listened to it over and over and over and over again (laughs) because every song on that release, I absolutely loved. And thank you. I wonder for you, like that was your first big U.S. release. Yes. And it had a lot of critical acclaim. How was that for you? Like that had to be pretty exciting. Yeah, I was in college. All of a sudden, I did a project for someone that it was a duet. And at the time, it was Michael Franks, who was the other person that was doing the male part. I didn't do it together with him on the spot. I recorded afterwards. But then he heard my voice and he helped me kind of connect me with uh, Warner Brothers. They heard my voice at Warner Brothers. Then they got interested in hearing the music that I was writing. It was something that the minute they heard it, they contacted me. George Duke was uh, part of that decision with the president of Warner Jazz at the time, who was Matt Pearson. And they both liked my voice. And and the project started, we recorded. Some songs were produced by George Duke. Some songs were produced by Paul Brown. Some were produced by Alain Malé. And it did very well. I mean, it was very well received. and, And I was very, very grateful for that. I was a little young to understand. I was like, a little like overwhelmed to, sure. uh, to be honest with you to be recording with George Duke and his band I was very very nervous to say the least but he was very kind so were the other producers they were very kind to me seeing that I was a little overwhelmed by the experience you know mm-hmm, and it, mm-hmm. it was a wonderful wonderful experience I always will be grateful to Warner Brothers Jazz and to these kind producers for being patient with me and my inexperienced at the time. Well, I tell you, listening to it, no one would get that you were inexperienced. (laughs) There are some works that have good songs on them. There are some works that I think are investments, like Stevie Wonder albums are investments, right? Because everything is great. Absolutely. Wanting for me was an investment because every tune on that project was absolutely wonderful. And thank you. So it caused me to go back and I've discovered this new artist back in the day. And so I'm looking for your work and I'm finding some other things later on that you did. And one of the things I've noticed in your music is that I can't put you into a category, right? I think people want to always put artists into a certain category, right? Yeah, yeah. There's certainly jazz as an influence, Latin music as an influence. But your music is so much bigger than that. Thank you. How do you go about fusing so many different styles and doing so many different things and keeping it fresh? I grew up listening to Miles Davis, Dexter Gordon, my father, who recently died, unfortunately. Sorry to hear. 
yeah, the years that he was with us because my parents, he left uh, home when I was eight or so due to a divorce, a bad divorce. So <laughs> we didn't see him for some time, but up to the point that he was living with us, the music we heard was only jazz. There was no other music. There was no pop music. There was no nothing. And, and Cuban music. We were hearing also some Cuban music, which he liked. It was Duke Ellington, Count Basie, all of those big band songs, Django and the guitar, Stan Getz, Dexter Gordon, Miles Davis was like the God, you sure. know, the God. Well, who is the God, really? Who right. is the God? <laughs> <You know? laughs> but in my home, when I was a little kid, I would come back from home and I was like, please, please play this song. I like that kind of music. And I grew up with that. And then, you know, being a Latin person, the rhythms that you hear, a lot of Brazilian rhythms, because Argentina is so close to Brazil and culturally there's a lot of exchange with Brazil. And we have a, the competition with football. But besides that, there's this mutual love and admiration. And there's lots of Brazilians living here, lots of Argentinians living in Brazil. Okay. And we have this love affair, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and once this soccer comes in, there's no more love affair. <laughs> besides that, there's this love affair. And I grew up listening to a lot of the rhythms from there. And then I started to play the guitar and I was playing a lot of Brazilian music. And that, when I moved to the States, when I was 18, to study music and to be with my father, because my father had moved there and being apart from my father was very hard on me. And, and I moved there on some attempt to be closer to him emotionally. When I arrived there, the Latin jazz music was so powerful in New York and those rhythms were so, so moving to me. And I started to be friends with the Latin guys that really were a huge influence on my music as well, because really it kind of touched on who I was. Like there was some kind of vein that that music touched, you know? It was really like a mixture of all these things that I came to Warner with all those things in my head, my past with jazz, my growing up with jazz, the playing of Brazilian music, but then this impact of Latin jazz in my veins, you know, and it all came together. You know? Yeah, well, you do a wonderful job of meshing all of those different styles. And the other thing about your music that I noticed is that you tell stories, your projects, some are very cohesive in terms of it's like reading a book from chapter to chapter sometimes, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Where do those stories come from? I had a rough childhood, very lonely childhood. My father left, my mother left. And I think that that void being alone since early on and feeling a little bit unloved, you know, because yeah, when a child is abandoned on some levels, the message that you get that is maybe your fault that you're not loved. Or I grew up with my grandmother and someone that was like a grandmother to me too that I lived with my grandmother and, and my little brother. And those early experiences of loss and of loneliness, they stayed in me forever, really. And then when I moved to New York, it was very lonely at first as well. And there were other reasons but music to move to New York. I wanted to be closer to my dad. My dad had a new life. There was no place for me so much in the new life. And it, it took me a long time to be a person that was together in my heart, in my soul, to accept that people did the best that they could. Sure. But it was very hard for someone 18 searching for the family love for the father and not finding that. I mean, my father did what he could, but it was hard. It was that part. And I think that that's where a lot of my sad songs come from. Also the, of hope, because I always try to find hope in life. Always finding hope in life, such a a really important thing. But I think too, there's so much passion in your music and you feel it, you know, as a listener. Thank you. And that's why I was intrigued about the stories that you're telling because you get that passion very quickly in your music. And it's really, I don't know, like I think there are some singers who are, and musicians who are very good technically, but there are the ones who are transcendent are good technically and show their passion. And you're one of those musicians, so. Thank you, thank you, Garth. It means so much what you're saying to me because in comparison to musicians that have an instrument that is like super powerful, I'm not that. I am a musician. I'm not really, I'm a singer, but I'm, I'm more of a musician and I like writing, composing, arranging. Like I did this new tribute to those Dukes and mm -hmm. I did all the, I wrote the arrangements. I sing, I play the guitar, but 
I'm not this massive, incredible, you put me next to someone that sings incredibly. I'm more of an intimate singer. But the passion comes because honestly, from all the stuff that I lived, when I was able to get a microphone in my hand, that's when I said I forgot about everything and music was saving me from very, very deep sadnesses in my life. And I'm very grateful to music for that. And I'm very grateful to the States too, because it gave me a channel to show what I was doing. And the fact that people liked what I did was healing to me. Like on some levels, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I am loved. I am liked. Absolutely. Because I couldn't find it too much in my family life at that time. Yeah, yeah. That's great. You're sharing of that. And then let's go ahead and take a listen to a song from that very first USCD, Wanting. This is Fire of Love.
That was Fire of Love by our guest, Gabriella Anders. Tell me, what was it like the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? It was incredible. I was walking <laughs> by Bloomingdale's uptown. Oh, wow. I was walking and I, was, I heard, wait a minute, I know this music. What is this? And it was with my CD. I was like, oh my gosh. That's and great. Then I, was, I was in Spain in a bus. Uh-huh. I went there to perform, but I was on a bus. Like I said, ah, let me go to the center of Spain and see what the you know store. <laughs> and I hear my song. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> that had to be pretty fun. Oh, it was nice. It was great. And you heard it first time in one country and then another first time in another country. That's doubly cool, right? I know. I know. It was incredible. It was really incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about a little bit earlier all the people that you had a chance to collaborate with. I mean, mm-hmm. George Duke, Rick Braun, Boney James, Kirk Whalen. I mean, that's kind of like a, a who's who and, and doing that on your first release. Yeah. Did that give you a certain level of, you mentioned that, you know, you were a little nervous, but did it also give you a level of confidence saying that, wow, these people want to work with me and, and they're already accomplished at that time? Well, I didn't know any of them. Only I knew George Duke. Okay. I didn't know Paul Brown. Okay. The only one that I knew, it was George Duke because my dad admired him. So I kind of grew up listening to older jazz, not so much contemporary jazz, older jazz. My dad was very purist with that. So for him, there was nothing good except Billie Holiday. The rest was all, he didn't want it in the house. So I grew up like that. So it was a little isolating in terms of musically, right? Sure. And then when I came to the state, more open, I was like, oh my God, Janet Jackson. Oh my God, how great. He was all new to me. But for me, I could connect to that because that bass, that connection to rhythm in that way, like you hear Count Basie, the way that band connected to rhythm, there was something that I could find in the more contemporary people at the time that connected to that. I didn't know exactly what it was, but it was the same as when I went for the first time to Cuba and I heard Los Bang Bang. It was not the same as Count Basie. It was not the same as how Stan Getz feels rhythm. It was not the same as Niles Davis. But there was something in the rhythm that touched your soul. I can't explain it, but I was in Cuba listening to that and the people were going insane over this riff that they were playing. And it connected to Janet Jackson. It connected to... It's almost like that basic rhythm that connects all human beings to yeah. to beauty, you know? Yeah. And you hear like some groove from those guys from Philadelphia, you know, that they do that groove. And then you go to Van Van in Cuba and it's a connection with that, that goes beyond borders, that goes beyond anything. And it's a wonderful thing. And so when I arrived there, even though I didn't know much about Janet Jackson or didn't know much about the pop music in the States, I kind of like, whoa, it opened my mind to all of that new stuff. Yeah. That's another thing I love about music is that there's always something new, right? There's always a new horizon. It's always something to, like you said, open your mind up to something new. So when you're going through your process of creating music, how do you know when a song is ready to be released to the world? Well, there's the accomplishment of the composition. And then there's the thing about releasing it to the world. Like, I know when I'm happy with the song, when I write a song and it's done, I kind of feel it. I feel the form is good. The lyrics, I go back and forth. Okay, change this, change that. I change sometimes the music, the melody. I say, "Mm, it doesn't go very well with the chord. I write it sometimes on piano, sometimes on guitar. Usually when I write on guitar, it's slightly more Brazilian. Okay. I try to keep it uh, sometimes on the piano just to get away from something that is so comfortable for me. That idiom is very comfortable for me. So I'm trying always to kind of look for different rhythms, you know, to make it a more exciting, no? And then if I like it a lot, then I say, okay, this song is going to go on on a next project. It's more of a feeling thing, you know? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Are you chasing as your liking of a composition of a song? Like, are you chasing something that feels right in your heart? Are you chasing what you think fans will like? Or neither? What, you know, what is it? I mean, when I was on Warner Brothers and then when I was on EMI, the records that were on labels, they were more like, they were say, okay, we like this song, this song. They were looking at that. For me, it's more like what I find, it's something that good that I can show. When I was on Warner Jazz, they wanted me to go to cross over to like more of a Latin pop thing. And I was never interested in that because 
first of all, there's a lot of people that sing songs that are more for the big, big masses. I wanted to do something that was true to who I was. And that limited me, certainly, but I couldn't be unfaithful to myself. Yeah, right. And I would never do a pop music as good as other people that feel that I feel this. And this is what I say I have to keep going. And even if it doesn't provide with numbers of people, I can't do any more than what I am. Understand. Understand completely. So we're starting to come out slowly of this pandemic. And how did that affect your ability to make music and to practice your craft? Well, I mean, the pandemic was a nightmare in the sense that I couldn't play. I played twice a month in New York with my big ensemble and the Los Dukes ensemble, and then with my trio. I couldn't do that. I have to say that that is like, I've been starving for that. I never imagined that not performing being so difficult. So what I did was I had recorded just before the pandemic, some songs with great pianists, three different pianists. And what saved me throughout the pandemic was working on that project. I, I did vocals in my home. In New York, I had a little recording studio and I did all the vocals. And that really saved me. Just doing that really helped me. In November, I have a tour in the States and I'm going to be going all around. But I had another one that was now I had to cancel because a shorter one than November's was a shorter tour. But I had to cancel because I couldn't get out of Argentina. They're very strict now because they don't want the Delta variant to enter the country. So I have to say I'm a little bit sad because I'm waiting for this pandemic to be over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean about, like, I relate it to how I feel as a fan, just not being able to experience live music. Exactly. I listen to it all the time, but being there and seeing the joy that the crowd gets or seeing the... It's another thing. Right. Seeing the joy that the artist gets and engaging with the crowd, right? Exactly. That adds so much to the experience of listening and seeing as well in live music. So I'm so happy that live music is starting to get back on track here. Yes. Hopefully the Delta variant is not going to change that. Right. But all my musician friends, they all went through a period of sadness, of depression, because you can't live without performing. Yeah, yeah. You really yeah. can't. It's the way it is. It's your life, and it's your lifeblood. And so, yeah, yeah, that's a really important thing because everybody I've talked to is just so excited and hoping that we can get back to live music really, really soon. So mm-hmm. your project, The Ring, you recorded that during pandemic time? Exactly, during the pandemic. I had just recorded the three different... The concept was piano voices and three different pianists coming from different parts of the world. It was an American jazz, more jazz pianist from New York, Jim Riddle, who I really admire. John Cowell, he's New Orleans. He has that New Orleans kind of style. I had never worked with anybody from that sensibility. So it was challenging for me. And then it was a French piano player, Jean-Michel. Okay. Del Pilk. And it was interesting to me how they brought their culture in there, you know, like they're playing. And it was really interesting to deal musically with this different sensibilities. And it really, I had to say, it really helped me through the pandemic to be able to do the vocals and work on that. And as I was inside in New York, when the numbers were out of control. Did you write the songs on that CD? I wrote most of the songs. Some are songs that are older songs that my father liked. And because he was closer to my father's passing, I felt closer to him by recording them. Great. Like I recorded Old Feeling. My father used to love that song. So I did it with Jim Riddle. Great. Great. Well, let's take a listen to Shattered Love from <laughs> Gabriella's 2020 release, The Ring. Shattered Love is, I wrote that Yeah. All right. Let's take a listen. your letters and your notes as all my dreams went up in smoke cause when you left oh can't you see you took the very heart of me I could never touch your distant soul 
Never move a heart so cold. So I'm burying all my hope for the shadow love. I screamed, I cried, I called you names, but all my crying was in vain. Love disappeared without a trace. I dream at night, I see your face, but I could never touch your distant soul. Never move a heart so cold. So I'm bearing all my hope for this shattered love. I ripped your pictures. Silence of yearning in my soul. I ripped your picture off the wall. All this shattered love. I shed a tear. Could never touch your distant soul. Could never move a heart so cold. So I'm bearing all my hope for this shattered love. I ripped your picture off off the wall. Silence the yearning in my soul. I ripped your picture off the wall. That was Shattered Love by our guest today, Gabriella Anders. And you touched a little bit on this, but I'd love to dig into a little bit more. You've been on the big labels and you've been an independent artist. And can you go a little bit deeper into how label versus being an independent impacts your music and what you create and how you go about the process? Well, I mean, when you're in a big label, it allows you really to reach a lot of people because big labels have the power to connect with the world. So Wanting was a good CD, but without a big label, I don't think it would have reached Spain the way it did or, gotcha. or Switzerland or Russia the way it did. It would have been a nice a local CD, prestige. Oh, wow, that's nice. This producer, she sings well, she writes well. But with a big record label, it allows you to go big because that CD when it was successful not only because it was good and was well-produced, but also because there was a big label behind it. The problem with big labels is, for example, that they decided on the songs. I mean, I presented them with a lot of songs and they said, okay, this song, this song, this song, which we both decided on it. But normally if I'm on an independent label, I decide on my own what works, whether people will like it or not. It's not a big force moving me to choose one song or another. For a big record label, it is. The other thing is production. When you are in a big record label, they need to put you in a box 
they had a hard time being Latina woman. They had a hard time with where to place me because I was Latina with all this jazz influence, which already being a Latina with jazz influence was a little strange. Sure. <laughs> because I hear like Count Basie's band and I know what year what that was recorded. Uh-huh. Because my father was teaching me since I was a kid. Right. Ellington, I know who's the drummer on that recording. And so it was a little strange for them, you know, harder for, to put me somewhere. But if you wanted to go a little further, like you can't move from one style to the next. So that's the pros and the cons, you know. When you're independent, you do whatever you want, but it doesn't maybe have the reach that it would have with a big label. Yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned you've got a tour coming up in November in the U.S. November, yes. I'm looking forward to that. So if you're going to be <laughs> close, you. I will definitely try to get there to see your tour. <laughs> and I'm going to tell everybody we're going to have Gabriella at our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival in 2022 in August of 2022 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. When you're doing gigs, when you're out on the road, do you have a pre-show routine that you go through or do you have certain things you do the day of a show? Well, I try not to get sick, which is a yeah. major one. Yeah, you know? okay. Try not to get sick, meaning sleeping a lot, uh-huh. drinking a lot of water, not having a lot of alcohol, like, you know, drinks here. I, mean, I love my drink, but when I'm on tour, I try not to do that. I try to do my vocal exercises every day. If I play the guitar, usually I play the guitar before the band comes in. I keep my chops. Just basically that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Try not to excited. I get someone that gets excited a lot. Mm-hmm. And, ah, let's do <laughs> Oh, look, it's great, great. I'm kind of a loud person. <laughs> and I try to kind of think of myself, zen, zen, calm down, gotcha. calm down. Life is good, but don't go crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> See, that's just the opposite of what I think a lot of people think it's like for musicians. A lot of people have this stereotype of musicians just being wild and crazy, and it's it's a party every night before you get on no, stage, no. and and that's just the opposite. No, I think that goes for like Rolling Stones or in that world, but I don't know if it's bad for them to party just the night before a show. I don't know. But in my case, and I think in most of the jazz world, People Mm -hmm. are more chill. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So we have this fun segment we do, Gabriella, with each of our guests, and we call it Bout It or Doubt It. Okay? (laughs) Okay. I started this body body. If you bout it, get them up. I mean you body body. I mean body. We say you body body. I represent. I doubt it. So if you're about it, it's something that you like, right? It's something that okay. you believe in, you like, whatever. But if you doubt it, it's something that you just aren't feeling. So are you up for playing? Yes. Okay, cool, cool. So we're <laughs> going we're gonna to spin the wheel, and then we're okay. going to get you a category, all right? All right. So let's go right. ahead and spin the wheel. All right, and Gabriella, your category today is science and technology, all right? Okay, okay. About it or doubt it? UFOs. Doubt it. Doubt it. Okay, tell me about that. I don't believe they're green people outside of the, <laughs> of the planet, you know. Uh-huh. And I think also we have so many problems on Earth that I'm not too worried about a UFO. That's you know, a great we need to kind of take care of the Earth, get along better. Yeah. Enjoy differences instead of, uh, oh, feel richer because we're learning from other cultures. Yeah. We're learning from other people from other countries. We're so much one. Yeah. And everybody. Like looking, oh, your eye is bigger. Okay, no. Uh huh. I don't worry about UFOs. I worry about us yeah. getting along. You know? That's a great point. I mean, I tell you, when you think about it, that makes so much sense. And we also, we're in the midst of this time now where we have billionaires rushing to space too. And so... I know, I know. I think that's a great point. I mean, good for him if he has the money to waste on that. Though I would think if he gives that money to South America mm-hmm. or to countries that need it, It'd be so much better than, but you know, look, he maybe can do both, but I believe that there's so much to do on earth than to take a a nice trip to the moon. I don't know. That's my humble perspective, you know? I can't say that I disagree with you at all on that one. So, okay, (laughs) let's do one more category. All right. But we'll do the same category, but one more about it or doubt it. Okay. Artificial intelligence. What do you think about artificial intelligence? I think that anything that moves us forward to being more efficient. Like, I think that robotics can be used for like a medicine. I heard that surgeries can be made sometimes. With, I think all of that, I am about it. I'm pro that. Yeah. If, yeah. As long as we keep the humanity. Yes. The humanity. If it's all to help humanity, to help us be better, 
I think it's all great. A robot, you know, and it becomes more just the business of it. I mean, it's okay, but not as powerful as it would be if science is used towards helping us in living better. Yeah, yeah. And I love that point, too, about keeping that thread of humanity through everything, too. Because Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that we sometimes in our society, we get caught up into catching the next thing and we lose sight of the importance of it may be important to catch the next thing. But what impact does that have on on the people yeah, and on humanity? Exactly. I think you're, you're raising some great points. I'm sorry, but I think also yeah. in the States, because we have so much available that, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of we forget that the world is not like that. The world is hardly, people are dying of hunger. And yeah. it's the big contrast with that. So that's what I'm saying. It's nice to get the latest item of technology, but not forgetting that we need to read the news. We need to kind of be aware of what's going on yeah. so that we don't lose track that that's not it. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So your latest project was... The Los Dukes Project. And I certainly get a sense from talking to you today about some of the influences of that project. But tell us about that project and how it came together and and why you chose that as a project. What happened is that uh, like three years ago, I was asked to do the Latin Jazz Night at a jazz club in New York. Okay. And I started off doing like typical songs, like uh, standards, Latin Jazz standards that I loved, you know, Celia Cruz songs. Ruben Blades songs. And then one night I was coming back in a taxi home after the show and I heard Ella Fitzgerald, one song that, you know, I grew up listening to. And because I had all those Latin rhythms, I said, wait a minute, you know, let me just add this to the mix. And I started, and I got Sibelius and I started to write some arrangements. First, very simple arrangements. And then slowly I started to learn more and more and more. And I brought the arrangements to the guys and it came out good. You know, my father was an arranger, a big band arranger. So I kind of had a little bit of that sensitivity in me. And I got really interested in writing for bigger ensemble, no? And it started off with two brass and three brass. Then so slowly, I didn't want to make it into a big band, but I made it into a bigger, and it was very powerful when we were able to play it. It was very powerful. And then I went into recording, you know, how I get so too excited. So I was mm-hmm. like, ah, let's record. And we recorded and I had the great gift to have Bobby Sanabria on drums and percussion. Bobby is uh, someone very special, not only an incredible drummer, percussionist, also an educator, someone that is very, his thoughts, the way he lives, the way, how he feels about issues of happening in New York and with Latinos. He's very, very in the right track, on the right track. And I admire him. I admire him. And I'm very grateful that he is part of the band and he recorded with me. And in November, we're going to be playing together. Basically, all the shows, I call him because I, I love Bobby. Yeah. You know, Bobby's great. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Bobby because I turned a friend of mine who's a Latino attorney friend of mine in Milwaukee. Uh-huh. He loves jazz. And, and I turned him on to your Los Dukes project. Oh, yeah. And when he found out that Bobby Sanabria was on it, he just, like, he was in heaven. He was like, oh, my uh, gosh. And when he, after he listened to it, he called me back and he said, oh, my God, I'm so glad you told me about that. You know? <laughs> so he really That's loved cool. it. It's such a great project. And you guys did such a great job with it. It's interesting with Bobby because it was not easy to sing with Bobby because Bobby's so powerful. It's like a powerhouse, you know? Mm-hmm. I would say, okay, we're going to do this song in this rhythm. And then he starts super fast yeah. on that rhythm. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, it was challenging. And I learned a lot from Bobby. And I'm very, very grateful. Same with Silvano Monasterios, the pianist from Venezuela. Uh-huh. Really good. Edward Perez on acoustic bass. Really, really good. So I'm very excited about this project, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds great. Let's take a listen to I Ain't Got Nothing But The Blues from your Los Dukes project. <laughs> Ain't got the change of a nickel Ain't got no bounce in my shoes Ain't got no fancy to tickle I ain't got nothing but the blues Ain't got no coffee that's working Ain't got no winnings to lose Ain't got a dream that is working I 
nothing but the blues When trumpets flare up, I keep my head up I just can't make it come down Believe me, Papi, I can't get happy Since my ever-loving baby left town Ain't got no rest in my slumbers Ain't got no feelings to Got no telephone number. I ain't got nothing but the blues. about the blues by Gabriella Anders and Los Dukes. And they're going to be out touring starting in November. So be mm-hmm. sure to check them out and look them up and go see them live. It's great uh, listening to it, but it'll be even that much more fun going to see them live. So <laughs> thank you, Carl. Thank you. The CDs, both Los Dukes and The Ring are available on Bandcamp. And Bandcamp, you can buy them digitally or you can buy the CD great. itself. Fantastic. So everybody go to Bandcamp and <laughs> and pick up Los Dukes and the ring as well. Gabriella, what is something that people would be surprised to learn about you, you think? I mean, I don't know, surprise. I'm someone interested in the environment. I'm worried about what's going on. I'm very against anti-democracy anywhere. Like I was very, very worried about Trump being our president. Very worried, very upset, and did whatever I could to... I'm a Democrat. Yes, yes. And... I love volleyball. I love uh, uh-huh. the sport volleyball. Okay. You know? Do you play? <laughs> I, yes, I play. I mean, Fantastic. I used to play a lot. Now I play less, but I used to play almost professionally. I was into sport. I love sports. Yeah. Love sports. Yeah. When I was younger, I was pretty good at, at it. I can't say, well, look, I invented the, I don't have a lot of like, super exciting, something that people don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. just the, 
you know. <laughs> oh, but the volleyball thing and the environmental thing and your political affiliations, those are important because I think those, that's one of the things we want to do with the show too, is we want to give people an understanding of who the artist is as an artist and as a person, you know, and I think that's important. Yeah. We see you guys as these people whose music we love, but it's great to get a little bit of knowledge of who the person is, right? Of course, as we were saying about before, about these people that go up to the moon and all that, that's great. But there's so many issues in, in the States and everywhere in the world, really, mm -hmm. with intolerance, you know? And, yes. and I find that to be a very, very serious and terrible heritage to leave our kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And children don't have that. Yeah. We have that. All You're absolutely people, right. We have that. Children don't have any of that. Yeah. And they're much more involved. And... I just very passionately about the messages that we give our little kids and to try to be positive with and accepting and enriching because we enrich each other with our experiences, different experiences with if we come from other places. That's why it was very sad with Trump, you know, how we Latinos were demonized, how we were not white American. It was portrayed as something strange or it just felt to me so wrong because as we were talking before humanity we have to be human we have to be compassionate kind because we're on this earth for a little bit then we go that's exactly right and and why not make that experience a wonderful one and a wonderful one means loving each other and not in the way like a soap opera just enjoying the other person and if i meet someone from another culture, another country, enjoying, trying to learn. And, and that learning will make me better. It happened with music. For me, learning about the music from Colombia has enriched me. Learning from rhythms from African-American, for example, enriched me. Learning some song from Italy enriched me. That's how it should be. I, that's what I think. So the moon is nice. The technology is nice. The robots are nice. But to me, deep, deep and very important to me, is this part of life, of making the world a little bit more warmer. And it takes the same energy to be warm than to be nasty. <laughs> That's a great point. And you're so right. In this world, a smile goes a long way. And we, Absolutely. we tend to have a hard time smiling at one another or just simply saying hello to someone who you cross on the street. There's nothing wrong with that. My daughter says to me, why do you say hi to that person? He didn't say hi to you, back to you. So I don't care. Right. I'm going to do what I feel is right. It's good to be open, you know? You never know what someone's going through. That person you cross on the street, that might be the only high they get today. Exactly, exactly. Bro. True love asks for nothing in return. So it would be great to see us give a little bit more true love in this world. So I love that that's your, your approach to things, Gabriella. Thank you, Carl. So I'm going to ask you another fun question that I like to ask all of our guests. <laughs> okay. You're having a dinner party. You can invite any three people living or deceased. Who's coming to your dinner party? Miles Davis. Yeah. Miles Davis. All right. I have so many questions for Miles Davis, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, the guy was a genius on a level. I mean, his concept of music, his concept of how, how he played with silence. Mm-hmm how relaxed he was, how always thinking ahead, never comfortable with, okay, so this sold a lot. Yeah. No, next, let's do something different. I have immense admiration for Miles Davis. At the same time, he had this elegance and he was avant-garde in the way he dressed and the yeah, way he, sure was. he liked art. And he was in a life, I mean, he came from a very educated family. And imagine, he was a genius faced with discomfort from a society that was uh, looking at a color skin as something important. It's shocking to me on that level of grace could have faced something so low as someone looking down at him for any uh, absurd reason. And I just have immense admiration for his legacy and for his person, you know, his elegance and he was very irreverent too. I love that too. I mean, you, you know, like there's so many stories. I mean, I have all his books. I love him, you know? Okay. And there's so many stories that you discover, Miles Davis. Like he was so smart that he was like irreverent uh -huh. at times. It's just incredible. I love what he is and 
what he is because he never died, really. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. He certainly lives on through his music, but through lots of other musicians and people in general, right? I really love him. You know, another person that I admire a lot was this piano player that died, I think, eight years ago. So Claire Fisher. Okay. You know, he was an American person, but he liked Latin music and he took Latin music and wrote orchestral music for it and played really interestingly. I admire him too. Living people, I don't know. I live in people, I guess, Obama. You Obama. Know? Okay, okay, great. Who wouldn't dream of having Obama, you know? Right, right. Sitting down with Obama and, and asking questions, you know I mean? That'd be... I got to think the banter between him and Miles would be pretty interesting back and forth at that dinner party, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Gabriella, we so appreciate you taking time today to join us on Fresh Coast Backstage. Thank you, Carl. We're looking forward to getting out and seeing you in November when you're on the road. Can we go to GabriellaAnders.com and get those tour dates? Yes. Great. Oh, Instagram. My Instagram page, I will be letting know on my page and on, on Instagram, you know? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. No, thank you for your time. It was an absolute <laughs> pleasure for me to spend some time with you. And go out, everybody, and make sure you check out Gabriella's music. Make sure you find her on Instagram so you can find out about that November tour. As I mentioned earlier, we're really excited that we're going to have her at our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival in August of 2022. It feels like like, we've got to wait too long for that, but, but it'll be <laughs> worth the wait, I know. <laughs> and we really appreciate you, Gabriella, and all the best to you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you so much. November, most likely Bobby will come, Silvano will come. Fantastic. Edward will come. So you'll meet, not only they'll see me, but they'll see these incredible musicians, Latin jazz musicians that are adding to, yeah. to the colors of life. And know? if you're not up <laughs> on those musicians that Gabriella just mentioned, Make sure you get up on them because they are absolutely phenomenal. So that's going to be a great tour. So yes. All right, Gabriella, (laughs) we will talk to you again soon and we'll see you in Milwaukee in 2022. Yes. All right. Great. Thank you. you. This is to everybody there in the radio. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Backstage.